As I mentioned, today is the last of the Hard Questions series. And today we actually have a very hard question. It is a hard question because it is not an honest inquiry. But rather, it is intentionally designed to be a spring-loaded trap. That no matter how it is answered, it will release a deadly force. Say yes, and it will get you. Say no, and it will get you. Perfectly designed for the intention of getting Jesus. But Jesus does not flinch. He is not dismayed, he is not flummoxed or confused, but rather he grabs the spring-loaded. He unleashes the tension and remains unharmed the whole time. He then throws it at their feet with his answer, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, right? But give to God what is God's. It was such a brilliant answer, it left everyone speechless at the time, and realizing that they better not devise any more questions like that, and they could remain unscathed. And so they walked away, you know, in silence, and walked away they did, but not without Jesus first asking one of his questions, a question that, like theirs, had teeth, that no matter how you look at it, it is intended to bite, where Jesus would say, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? It is this question and not theirs that is to take our time and focus this morning. As tempting as it is to think about how clever and brilliant Jesus was, how he separates church and state, how he then gives this great dictum to give to God all that is his, which would be everything, and then give to Caesar, what is his, if he has his picture on it. We could go down that road, but we would never really receive the gift that Jesus has for us today in this message and the very reason that he brought you here this morning. For as we consider the question of Jesus, we have to wonder, well, why on earth would some people hate Jesus so much, especially those who claim to love God. Those who stood before him were not rabble-rousers. They were not criminals. They were good church people, people who loved the God of Abraham, people who had studied his word all of their lives, who had memorized it, who had, who had lived with that word in such a way that it had formed and informed their lives. Why on earth would they hate Jesus with such a hate, as that would want to entangle him in his words, trip him up, make him look foolish, and even put him to death by his own words. Well, it was the very fact that they did, in, they did believe in God and that they took his word seriously. It was from this vantage point that flowed their malice. For if Jesus truly is who he says he is, the very Son of God, one with the Father, the divine, then that really did change everything that they thought about God and that they had heard in His Word. It'd have to change everything about how they were living their lives because if God truly were present, 
He has a claim on them right then and there. And he can make good on it. To have God that close, he could see how well they were keeping his word. How truly devoted they were. And if their love was genuine. And having examined their hearts, he could render judgment immediately. Which he did. You hypocrites! Now, it wasn't just the the Pharisees, but it was even those who were quite devoted to Jesus, who followed him from city to city, who who praised his name and were so thankful for all that he was doing and healing and and teaching, and, and they were his admirers, his fans. Even to them, the living God who was living with them so closely would say, Why is it that you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Being in their immediate presence, Jesus could hear their their worship, their honor, their joy in being His presence, and yet He could see how they were not taking His word and actually doing the things that He was saying. And these were His admirers. Let's let's turn it the focus on ourselves and imagine if Jesus were physically present with you 24/7. Imagine that he were there to see how well you you hear his word and the word that you believe you've lived with all of your life to see if you are actually doing it. Would you like that? Imagine that Jesus was was present and and there with you all throughout the day and watching all of the same social media that you're looking at. I think the average adult watches about five hours a day. Imagine Jesus going over the credit card statement point by point with you. Imagine him knowing your inner life of just the disdain, the jealousies, the resentments, the hatreds, how you really think and act around people, would you not grow to resent that? Even hate, not only it, but Him. For to have God that close, He really can see and then make evaluations. What would keep Him from giving the very same label that he's labeled everyone else, but labeling you and me hypocrite. Believing and confessing one thing, but doing something quite different. Knowing this reality, we have quite a propensity within ourselves to push God away and to develop strategies to keep him far away. And some of the classic ones are to keep him at church. You know, we live our lives however we're going to live it, and then God's at church. And then when we show up at church, we have another strategy, because that's kind of close too. And so we keep him up in heaven. We think of him as far away and long ago. His word, which is so ancient, it has to be interpreted for us. It has to be, you know, what does this mean for us today? And then we can have a debate about that. And 
And speaking of his word, just keeping it at a very general level of understanding. You know, we, we know the big stuff, you know, creation, Christmas, and Easter stories. But to really live with his word on an ongoing daily basis where we are reciting it, memorizing it, and, and really considering it and savoring it and meditating on it, well, just keeping that at a distance. And when we do feel the pinch of him closing in and threatening our freedoms of what we really want to do, after all, this is my body, this is my time, my life, we devise our own spring-loaded questions. And some, some classic ones are, but don't you want me to be happy? Isn't that brilliant, right? I mean, doesn't God want us to be happy? And so when we feel that pinch of him closing in, examining our hearts, there's no way to answer that one. No matter where you grab it, it's going to get you. Because if Jesus were to say, well, well, yeah, I want you to be happy, well, then back away so I can do what I want. And if he were to say, well, no, I mean, you can't do anything you want, well, then step back because I will not give up my freedoms and my happiness. There we find ourselves with the Pharisees and all those gathered around Jesus because we're not asking honest inquiry with our questions. See, all of our spring-loaded questions, no matter what they eventually turn out to be, uh, even if Jesus were to answer them brilliantly and leave us speechless, we still walk away because we weren't looking for an answer. We were looking for an escape. That's the reason they walked away. And they walked away in silence because they just couldn't think of the next spring-loaded question. There will be no change of heart or of life until we consider the question of Jesus. Why do you put me to the test? What's going on inside of you that you do not want me close, intimate, examining your heart and mind, seeing the hypocrisy, seeing the disobedience you see, once we take this question seriously, then the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts the bite of the teeth of the question into a, a confession and admission. Lord, I really, I really don't want you that close. I really just want to be happy. I really just want to live my life however I want to live it. I really do want to keep you far away and long ago. But the Spirit works in us so that it is a confession, so that we ask honest questions of Jesus. Will you forgive me? Will you create in me a clean heart, O God, and a right spirit within me? Will you renew within me the joy of your salvation? To be in God's presence, in reality, is a joy. All of the things of this life are a temporary happiness, and they really don't have the power to bring us joy. But the one to whom we cry out to, are you there for me? And he answers, yes, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
to have the true and living God intimately close is not only a joy and a peace that the world cannot bring, not only a protection, for he is, is like the angel of the Lord encamps around us, the psalmist would write. Not only his protection and his wisdom and guidance, but there is a treasure to be with Jesus and to think that he's invited us to be that close. For as we ask our questions, the one who has died for us, the one who's risen from the dead, he answers even right now in your hypocrisy and in mine, in your disobedience and in mine, he says to you, you are forgiven. I love you. I want to be with you and lead you in a life that is of integrity, that the words you say and the way you live are the same, that the joy you have in this world is a joy that is with me, rejoicing in the gifts you have received, but if the gifts are not there, still rejoicing in me. See, these are honest inquiries in which our Lord and Savior answers again and again and will never turn away and never forsake us. This is the with God life that you and I live in every day because of Jesus. Jesus.